0: welcome to the minerals and royalties podcast the home of ceos and investors in the minerals and royalties space
1: hey guys this is tim powell from the minerals and royalties authority i recently sat down with darren zanovich president and ceo of mesa minerals who came back onto the podcast to talk about some of the recent exits that their team has had in their Mesa 2 vehicle, as well as the launch of Mesa 3, who re upped with NGP earlier this year and has already tacked on over 5,400 NRAs in the Hainesville and the Permian through their ground game? Let's jump into the episode and hear more of what Darren had to
0: say. Darren good morning and welcome back onto the podcast Third Times a Charm. Good to have you back. Hey, thanks Tim. Good morning. Good to see you. Yeah. And you know the reason we have people back on is there's something to talk about and so you guys have continued to have success bo- both on the buy and the sell side and we'll go into detail on that but uh congrats to to you Josh, Greg, Michelle and the rest of the team. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. You bet. So, we're going to I'm going to put some context here for those who want, you know, the the detail, the origin story of, of Darren in the mineral space and, and the Mesa entities, please check out episodes one and two, but just kind of high level. So Darren was on the founding team of Haymaker, who had a large exit, 450-ish million in 2018 to Kimball. He then partnered with Quantum, started Mesa One with a focus in the Haynesville had a nice exit at the end of 2020 to Franco, Nevada, and then partnered up with NGP in the summer of 21 to launch Mesa 2, which ended up being a Hainesville focus, took out the asset of Live Oak, did a ground game on top of that, built up the asset and has started to monetize that. And we'll get into that here in a little bit later in the episode and has repartnered with NGP uh, for Mesa 3 and has a, to date, a Permian and a Hainesville focus and continues to look at other basins for larger opportunities so with that being said i'll hand the floor over to you darren um how's everything been going good to have you back on
2: great tim it's been great we've been busy we stood up our permian business and really proud of what started to build there continue to buy into haynesville we've continued to monetize pieces of our mesa 2 haynesville assets uh, we've had sales to Saxum, and then two sales to whitehawk now where we've basically divested you know uh, a portion undivided portion of those assets we still have 56 percent of the mesa 2 assets remaining and and to date we've returned a little over 200 million of capital to our investors in mesa 2. so really happy about that
0: well let's let's take a pause there so that's phenomenal 200 million back to investors and you still own 56 of the assets so let's reverse engineer and really build out what the mesa 2 portfolio looked like and i remember one thing i have to give credit to you for you and your team is that when you've seen these pockets of opportunity you've executed and you've created a lot of value for your your investment partners along the way and inst- you know example of that is in Early 2021, you know, when we were talking, you're like, Hey, Tim, there's an opportunity up market to roll up uh, portfolios. The publics aren't as active. And I think, you know, we've traditionally been ground game focused, but I think there's an opportunity here to, you know, do something in the hundred to $200 million range. You later partnered with NGP and you took out the live oak assets. So why don't you, you know, give a little context on that, what the footprint was. And then you, you've kind of said your one, two punches, chunky acquisition. Layer the ground game on top of that to really build it out. So you get the flag in the ground, and then and then you scale it. So why don't you walk through that story and and what the asset became, and then you know what it was at its peak when you started divesting off pieces to Saxum and Whitehawk.
2: Yeah, perfect. So yeah, that that it has kind of been our strategy and the recipe is you know buy a larger acquisition in a basin where we believe we can apply our ground game as kind of a complementary strategy. So you know we did buy the Live Oak asset. I think it was roughly 14,000 acres at the time. Put our ground game on top of that. Added another 6,000 net royalty acres. Um, grew the cash flow up to, you know, I think it was about 60 million a year at the time of, of our initial exit to, to Saxum. And then following that, as I mentioned, we did two transactions with the White Hawk folks as well. So that that's kind of been our, you know, our recipe. Even in, back to Mesa One, we bought a large family office um, out on the East Texas side of the Haynesville and then put our ground game on top of that to grow that position to around 22,000 acres. So that that's kind of been the the strategy, you know, we, we're we continuing to look at large opportunities and uh, other basins as well. We looked at a MidCon deal. We looked at an Appalachia deal recently. Uh, we were the runner up on two uh, large Permian processes recently as well. So, you know, whether it's a, a, a larger marketed deal in the Permian or Haynesville or really any other basin, I think for us, it's, you know, somewhere around 15 million a year or more cash flow. Or larger in size to kind of get us interested as, as kind of that flagship asset.
1: Do you know where you're going to be on October 10th later this year? If your answer is not the Minerals and Royalties Assembly and Awards Dinner, then drop everything you're doing right now and go online to get registered. If you're serious about deal making and networking in the minerals and nano space, then I expect to see you there.
0: Yeah. And so just kind of reiterating what you were saying. So you still own 56% of the asset. You've gotten a, a 1.4 Moek on Mesa 2. So you guys are in a great position. And, you know, there's going to continue to be development on that. I'm sure you're bolting on to that existing portfolio through Mesa 3. But what's interesting is you guys added on the Permian in Mesa 3. Now, you haven't had any large flagship acquisition to date. You've been doing it through grinding and, and the ground game. Um, walk me through the process. You guys have had success, right? So what has happened today, but how did you get there? Because I think historically folks will will think you as hey, you know, Mesa's a Haynesville team, but how did you break into the Permian in such a busy, busy era, if you may, and you know, have success getting deals done? Uh, over to you.
2: Yeah, so just the way we kind of think about when we started Mesa 3, uh, we wanted to have a a strategy in the Haynesville and the Permian. And really, if you think about the team that we have, like the existing folks on the team, you know, you have Josh and I, uh, when we were at Haymaker, we deployed over 200 million in the Permian from 2014 to 2018. We have Michelle Massaro, who's our CFO, She was with Fortis. They deployed over 800 million in the Permian while she was there. Uh, we have William Reese, who was at Santa Elena, who's one of our engineers. He had a tremendous amount of experience in the Permian before we brought him on here three years ago. And then when we started Mesa 3, we brought in additional horsepower. You know, we added, you know, Walker Colt uh, as our VP of engineering in the Permian. He was over at Sachset. Uh We added Andrew Arnott, who who is the Permian land manager for Purple Land. We added two geos to the team because we feel like, you know, a real advantage for us in the Delaware is on the geology side. So we really beefed up the team. We had a lot of existing talent on the team that had Permian experience. So, so that was all, you know, something that we had planned. We also wanted to continue on in the Haynesville. We built a really good ground game machine in the Haynesville, and you know, I think ground game wise, if you if you look at the team that we have, I mean, we have over 35 buyers, and you know, you you've talked to a lot of folks. You know, a lot of folks that do ground games um, in the Permian and other basins. I mean, I believe we we might have one of the largest scaled teams that um, that's out there that that. Do an acquisition. So uh, we're really happy about that. Uh, we're really happy about you know the amount of money we've, we've been able to put to work. You know we really got the the commitment from NGP in December for 150 million for the start Mesa three. And since and really we didn't get our Permian ground game up and running until probably January or February. And since then you know we've deployed over 70 billion to date uh, in roughly a six month period between the Permian and the Haynesville. You know and and built out a nice portfolio. We, you know we've added another 2,700 net roll takers in the Haynesville. So, pro forma with our Mesa 2 Hainesville, we're, we're around 15,000 net royalty acres still in the basin, which is one of the largest private portfolios that's out there in the Hainesville. in the Permian. We put together about 3,700 NRA today, and, and combined, you know, we've got we've already got 10 million a year cash flow coming off the assets that we put together in the last six months. So, really happy, you know, about the amount of money we deployed. Probably 60% of that 70 million has been in the Permian. Over 35% of the money capital that we've deployed recently uh, in Mesa 3 has been in Loving County. So we've kind of taken the strategy of in the Permian of. Uh, you know, geo-driven, Texas, Delaware focused. We'll still buy in the Midland, focus on best rock.
0: Uh, we'll, we'll revisit the Permian in a second. Talk to me about what the Haynesville feels like today. I mean, you guys rode gas prices up. It was happy days last year, for sure. Eight, nine bucks in MCF at times in the year. Um, We've we fallen off the cliff. It went down to sub two for a little bit. It's floating around two to three bucks in MCF now. That kind of price volatility, locks up deal flow. Right. So how have you seen the ground game and minerals and landowners and what are those dialogues like with your your big land team? Let's start there.
2: Yeah, I'd say there's had to be a reset from the from the commodity price Shift that we've seen. Um, that's taken a while. You know, things are are quite a bit slower now in the Haynesville There's definitely more competition that has moved in. Probably more of the competitors have moved into the Texas side because it's easier with the tax rolls on the Louisiana side. But you know, the 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 and the Louisiana side is much like New Mexico. When I've talked to you know folks there, I mean, you've really got to go on the front end and spend a bunch of money on title and, and really have a commitment to to that and and we've done that and we have every section in the basin you know evaluated and and we can move fast and what we've found is you know even when there's new folks that have come in you know most most people are going to shop a deal back to us in the haynesville we 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 usually get last shot at most deals over there
1: hey guys i wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to all of our podcast sponsors looking to ramp up deal flow for your minerals and non-op ground game since 2019, the Texas Mineral Company has closed on over 120 deals totaling 110 million in value, with deal sizes ranging from 50k upwards of 5 million. Whether you're looking for white space, permit, duck, PDP, AFE, or wellbore only deals, the Texas Mineral Company has got you covered. For more information on how to source deal flow from the Texas Mineral Company, please email Toby Martinez at toby at thetexasmineralcompany.com. Over the past 20 years, Riverbend Energy Group has been the definitive leader in the non-op and mineral space, where they are actively acquiring minerals in the Delaware Basin, Midland Basin, the Williston, and the Eagleford. Following their $1.8 billion sale of their non-op platform in 2022, they are also back actively acquiring non-op interests in the Delaware Basin, Midland Basin, and Williston. If you have minerals or non-op working interests in these areas that you would like to sell, then please visit www.riverbendenergygroup.com for more information. Farmers National Company has oil and gas experts located across the country, ready to provide you unmatched convenience and service for your land management needs. Whether you're looking for turnkey management of oil and gas interests, or simply looking for an advisor to help you sell or lease your minerals, Farmers National Company has you covered. Learn more about Farmers National Company's team of certified mineral managers, landmen, attorneys, and accountants by going to FNCenergy.com or reach out directly at energy at farmersnational.com. Does your team ever struggle with employee turnover? What about right sizing your team to fit your company's needs over time? Do you have the right accounting systems and software in place to maintain control and visibility on all your cost centers? If any of these things are challenges in your business, then Opportune's back office outsourcing could be the right solution. For more information, please visit www.opportune.com.
0: Yeah, you know what one, one thing. I sold a deal, three four million bucks for a, a family in Dallas earlier this year. That was in the Louisiana Haynesville side, and you know as I engaged the deal and then was preparing to go to market, gas just kept falling off a cliff. Right, this is January timeframe, but it was a white space deal with good rock, no line of sight really, and i was able to get it done and the reason for that is just the way the strip is and if you were underwriting something at 36 to 48 months out when you were expecting development to come on that didn't really change a whole lot from when gas was eight to nine bucks so those types of deals i felt were still transactable can you talk about the development profile of how you've built that 2700 NRA in the is it Have you been shying towards that because you don't really want to bring stuff on at 250 gas right now? Or if it is pre-permitted or near term, are you finding a lot of operators are ducking their inventory and building up that? And there's going to be a landslide of cash flow come 2025 when you know, hopefully this LNG capacity comes online and we get a bump in pricing. I mean, what's uh, what's kind of the dynamics there from just development timing and all that?
2: Yeah, I'll take a step back. I mean, I think we, we kind of view the Permian and the Haynesville in two separate ways. And, you know, in the Permian, it's going to be more of a, you know, 90 percent, 80, 90 percent of your of your value is going to come in, from an exit. Whereas the Haynesville is much different, you know, to answer your question about what we're buying, we're buying all res cats, including inventory. But, you know, we've already got substantial cash flow already in what we've acquired in Mesa 3.0. We've got a lot of ducks. we got, you know, I think five rigs on our acreage on our 2,700 acres. We've got five rigs on it today. So we're really buying. And, and that's the beauty of the Haynesville. It's, it's a smaller basin, you know, uh, you know, uh, the Permian, you know, you've got operators that have 30 years of inventory. There's nobody in the, the Haynesville that has more than seven or eight. So um, buying out there, you, you, you feel more comfortable buying all res cats, but the the difference I'd, I'd say in the Haynesville is, you know, what we've seen in Mesa Two and what we're seeing in Mesa Three is we're probably going to get more like forty or fifty percent uh, of our of our uh, returns coming from cash flow, and then and then the you know the the exit would be more like fifty percent. Fifty to sixty percent, rather than a Permian where it's like a ninety percent uh, from your exit. So, kind of two different strategies from from that standpoint.
0: No, that's interesting. W- what about so you mentioned the Hansville has gotten more competitive? I would agree with that, uh, especially last year. A lot of Permian guys came over to the Hainesville, but with pricing, you know, dropping, it's definitely gotten less crowded. Uh, I can speak to that just through conversations I've had. Uh, I've uh, I've had a theory over last year that there are a lot of small to mid tier guys that bought and, you know, they may have a line of credit and the clock's ticking a little bit and uh, they may need to sell down for those reasons. You know, the the music stopped at the wrong time or, you know, they're not, they don't have a gun to their head, but they see good opportunities to redeploy that money back in the ground. And they'd rather sell now, redeploy that money. And they, they feel like they can make their money work for them a little bit better with that strategy. So when you look at rolling up smaller portfolios, from some of these aggregators have you seen some of that stuff start to surface uh, i imagine that's got to be a great uh, opportunity for aggregation
2: yeah yeah we have we have seen that surface and and you know, unfortunately a lot of those guys and, and we keep picking on the permian guys that you know new entrants you know whether they came from the permian or other areas that, that came into the Hainesville, and, and unfortunately a lot of those guys bought at seven eight dollar gas you know and they're they're completely upside down and yeah they are coming to us uh, to take a look at the portfolio and it's been hard at this point to come to kind of an agreement on terms, just where they're at, but I think they, a little more development, we you know we get a little bump in gas price, and we'll be back to a point where those opportunities will make more sense um, going forward.
0: Okay. All right, so then let's let's focus now back on the ground game and the Permian. I mean, so you have this large team, a lot of Permian experience. You know, I, I just did a, an episode with Scott Steger. He ran one of the the large buying vehicles in the Midland Basin for SRP before starting Santa Fe Energy, and he was with Garden Energy before that. So, pretty extensive Midland Basin experience in his own right, and he just talked about the importance of relationships. And so, when you go through the rap sheet of your uh of your team pretty extensive permian experience as well is it really just experience relationships is the ultimate differentiator in the permian and that's the key to getting deals done i mean the life cycle of these conversations with mineral owners is years and years and years and so walk me through the dynamic of getting stuff across the line are you guys doing any any earnouts or any creative structures I mean the 3700 acres you've you put together
2: what does that look like sure i I think for us we've, we've really just taken what's working for us in the Haynesville as far as our our ground game you know we've, we just brought on our third engineer brought on a fourth person on the engineering team at uh, engineering tech so we we've got a tremendous tremendous amount of deal flow that that I'd say comes our way. And that's that's through relationships, but but more so it's from like what we've created ourselves. I mean we're rolling we're rolling our own valuations out to our own buyers and kind of cutting out those guys, you know, that are in the middle that, that have been bringing a lot of folks deals out there. And so it took a while. It took about four or five months to get that machine up and running, but we've got the machine up and running now where we've got more deals to evaluate than than we've got engineers. So I think it's an, it's more of a numbers game. We have a lot of, we have a lot of folks making a lot of calls. We've got a lot of evaluations that we rolled out and we really have our machine running so that, you know, we're not looking at it at a deal. That it comes our way. Then they shop it to four other guys. And, you know, after after we give them a price on it, we've kind of cut that piece of it out and really have gone direct to the landowners ourselves and, and found for us. I think the recipe in the is it, in the Delaware on the Texas side where we've utilized our geologists and, and the geologists that, that we've got. These are guys that have been operators out there. They drilled wells in the core of Loving County. They've drilled wells on the fringes of the play. And so I think what's important and a lot of people miss on the in, in the te- Texas Delaware side is how geologically complex it is. And, you know, every day, you know, we're looking at a deal where talking about, you know, four zones, five zones, and they've already drilled some wells in that unit. And it's a question of can they come back and infill these other zones or did they... You know, but do they have to co-develop it uh, versus infill it? And so, if you get that wrong, you could be five thousand an acre off. And so, we've been there. We've been five thousand an acre higher than competition. We've been five thousand an acre off of off of the the top bid on some stuff. But it, but you, I don't know how you would you couldn't compete out there without a gel. And I know a lot of groups do. And it, it's it's scary because it is a complex basin from from faulting, uh, from the debris from really the ability to understand when there's existing wells in a unit in multiple zones where you can come back and infill. And I think that's the that's the billion dollar question that we, we try to get right out there uh, on the Texas Delaware side.
0: Yeah, I was talking to some guys the other day about uh, the Anadarko, you know, the Anadarko, there's folks are starting to revisit and look at it. And they said, listen, the the Anadarko days of 2015 to 17 are over, but there's still really good spots, but it's incredibly complex technically. And there's these very small windows you want to play in. And if you're wrong, you're wrong in a big way and you don't want to be in these areas. So, you know, you're saying that in, in kind of the lens of, of Loving or other parts of the Texas Delaware, which, which is important. I mean, the numbers are so much bigger in the Permian. And so like you said, if you're off with something on your underwriting, it could be a difference of 5,000 NRA, which, you know, that's not the Delta in another basin. That's that's the entire acquisition price. And so it, it matters. You know, one thing I want to revisit, which I found interesting, you said from a value creation standpoint, 90% of the value is coming from the exit in the Permian, whereas the Haynesville, it's more of a balance uh, with development and exit. Can you peel, the, you know, drill that down a little bit further? I mean, that's interesting to me because at a high level, you go to the Permian because the Permian has the most rigs, right? So there's the most development there. So conceptually, I would tend to think the opposite. But is it just the fact that there's you know, the Permian is the growth engine for scale for these empires, whether it be a public. You see Viper just taking out GRP or Sidio with all their roll-ups, and then there's other private funds that are large aspirations to go public or merge or whatever it may be. And it's just scale is so important, and so that exit market is more ripe versus the Haynesville. I mean, I remember when you went out to market last year and you were talking to prospective buyers and educating them on your portfolio and everything. You're like, hey, guys, look around. What other large portfolio is going to be like this? There aren't a lot. And so that puts you in a good position as a seller in the Haynesville. Um, but in the Permian, there's there's a lot of inventory. And so I, is that kind of the dynamic? It's just the the competition on, on the exit for, for buyers. So love you to break that down more.
2: Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, I think for us, the, the you know one of the things that that drew us to the Permian obviously was the activity that you have, but also just the exit market. And we believe, you know, we can put together a portfolio, and within you know three to four years, we're going to be able to sell that, and it is going to be a frothy in buyer market. You see it on all of these deals where we we, we may have had three or four guys looking at our Haynesville large portfolio. You know, when we look to exit that in December of twenty twenty two, you may have. 50 or 75 guys looking at your permian portfolio when you go to exit. You know, I use that 80 90% uh, of, of your value from the permian comes in and exit. And you know, that can depend, you know, right now our portfolio is more inventory heavy because that's what we've been able to have success buying um, on the ground. We still target ducks, we we target permits uh, in the permian. You know, it is an unbelievable uh, unbelievably competitive market on the ground for the for those things and and the discount rates that people are willing to pay on the ground for those are just are just unbelievable right now. So that's why, you know, I say you know, more of our our portfolio is inventory heavy. Right now, we do have cash flow coming off of it, but thinking about the inventory in the Haynesville, it gets developed a lot quicker than probably the average inventory acre at in Birmingham, just because they're spread out so much.
1: Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to all of our podcast sponsors. Your property is your legacy, so you should only leave it in the hands of a land management company who has a legacy of its own. If you own and gas interests or act as a fiduciary for those who do, you can find a long-term partner at Farmers National Company, who since 1929 has taken great pride in helping clients maximize the benefits of property ownership by providing turnkey management services and by working alongside them through generational transfers of specialized assets such as oil and gas interests and farmland. To learn more, visit fncenergy.com or reach out directly at energy at farmersnational.com. Since 2019, the Texas Mineral Company has been a leading ground game broker for minerals and non op deals, closing over 120 transactions across the Permian, Scoop Stack, Hainesville, Bakken, Padder River Basin, DJ, and Eagleford. With deal sizes ranging from 50K upwards of 5 million, and 1.5 NRAs, upwards of 3,500 NRAs, the Texas Mineral Company can be flexible on where and how they can source your deal flow. For more information on how your team can work with the Texas Mineral Company, please email Toby Martinez at toby at the Texas Mineral Company.com. Scaling up your portfolio while minimizing GNA is the name of the game in the minerals and non-op space. Whether you're a brand new fund, an established team who's growing quickly, or a fully developed portfolio in harvest mode, Opportune's back-office outsourcing team can help. Stop worrying about all the headaches that come along with day-to-day accounting and back-office operations and contact Opportune today. For more information, please visit www.opportune.com. Over the past 20 years, Riverbend Energy Group has been the definitive leader in the non-op and mineral space. Where they are actively acquiring minerals in the delaware basin midland basin the williston and the eagleford following their 1.8 billion dollar sale of their non-op platform in 2022 they are also back actively acquiring non-op interests in the delaware basin midland basin and williston if you have minerals or non-op working interests in these areas that you would like to sell then please visit www.riverbendenergygroup.com for more information
0: how do you you know when you, you talk permian water and water midstream is way more prevalent than any other basin, specifically in the the Delaware side. How do you guys look at water? There was, um, uh, I don't follow the water midstream space as close as I did when I was at Energy Council, but I was fairly plugged in at one time. And I saw a press release, Scott Mitchell, he had a, a Blackstone back entity back when I knew him and he's got this new entity, Deep Blue. Not sure of the story, but they just, formed a JV with Diamondback on the water midstream side which is really interesting so you know the takeaway on the water side and how that affects the economics and the IPs on some of these new wells really really matters I was marking a deal the other day and I had some water takeaway issues and it really hurt the bids coming in right so well, how do you guys view that how have you kind of wrapped your head around it and
2: how's that going to the underwriting process Yeah, you know, that that goes you know when our engineering group looks at any, any acquisition we look we have operators that that we like that we target where we really understand, you know, all aspects of, of their business, including the water infrastructure and, and um, takeaway, you know. And, and, and so for for us, that that's kind of built in along with, you know, how we look at, you know, differentials and, you know, what deducts are going to be out there as well. So I, th- I think that's all factored in, but, de- but definitely to your point, it is important into Permian, just like, you know, takeaways really important in the Haynesville when it comes to some of those smaller oper- operators out there. Okay,
0: awesome. Well, hey, before we move on, I, we glazed over this and I, I, I think we didn't give it enough credit the the exits you've had on Mesa 2, L- let's kind of talk about those in a little more detail. So, you know, at its peak, you said you're around 20000 in array in your Haynesville asset. You know, what are some of the things that you started to look at where you said, okay, I think it's it's time to start selling? And why did you sell down portions of the asset like you did. I know we can talk about Daniel Herz and and Whitehawk's model, which is kind of tranches and dealing that with the retail model and everything. But, you know, Saxum has aspirations to scale and do larger deals. So was was the portion of the portfolio driven by the buyer? Was it it really driven by you guys and NGP? Walk me through the mindset of summer onwards and, and what you guys ultimately got done uh, going into this year on on the exits,
2: yeah, sure. So you know, we ran the process, and like you said, it was about twenty thousand net royalty acres. Ran a process. We had, I believe, five bids total. Four of them were for the entire asset. Uh, one of them was for a third of the asset from Saxum. We decided ultimately to go with the one third bid from Saxum, and that made more sense for us at the time. It, it was a uh, it was the best valuation. And then you know, really, with Daniel and those guys, they. They played the process kind of followed up with us following the process and and we're able to do two smaller transactions with with those guys uh with his retail chain so it 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 worked out really well for us that way and and you know like you mentioned earlier you know we've we've already returned like 200 million back to our investors between those those three sales and and cash flow that that we've had so it's been a great great deal for us that you know the royalty fund was really set up as a cash flow distribution yield vehicle for the investors and you know for us uh, as owners it as well so it's great i think we're we're going to go forward continue to look at the right opportunities with the right groups to sell you know portions or all of that Mesa 2 asset we still have the flexibility of you know looking at the pro forma and, and you know, with Mesa 3 Haynesville plus that and selling that together down the road as well It's still a great asset it's amazing even with prices are now you know we still have about a third of all the the rigs in the haynesville on our footprint today and that's really been consistent over the last two years whether we were in a six or eight dollar gas world or where we're at today we've had a third of the basin rigs on the footprint so you know we we feel really good about you know where we're at today and and strategically going forward
0: i mean it's it's wild that you guys have had these exits and you know fast forward a year and a half you're basically going to be in the same spot you're at 15,000 NRAs today. That's amazing, right? It's, it's it's a little bit like having your cake and eating it too. And you're going to get another bite at the apple. And, you know, no one has a crystal ball and can see what's happening in the future. But we're all betting on gas pricing recovering a little bit when there's more demand on the LNG side. So 2025, 2026 onwards... Hainesville's best situated because they don't have the midstream takeaway issues that an Appalachia does. And I think you guys are going to be in a really good spot. So, son of a bitch, you guys are going to do it again. I'm putting I'm putting my money on on Mesa for another great exit in, in a couple of years on the Hainesville side, if not sooner. So uh, well done there. Talk to me a little bit about just I think this is a testament, Daxum to Whitehawk, to you guys. You guys did transactions where the world looked a lot differently at closing than it did in the initial goings. And this is about relationships. This is about doing the right thing and locking arms and, and getting something across the line. What was that process like as you wake up every morning and you look at Henry Hub and it's, it's, it's red, right? And it's going down and trying to, trying to get the deal across the line. What, what was those, those dynamics
2: like? I think we we had a pretty good idea. And you know, the, the Saxon guys have really good relationships with the NGP folks. They were backed by them previously, um, Jim and team. So, you know, we we had been talking to them even prior to that the formal process launching. And so we had really kind of been talking to, to them maybe a month or so even before that. So, you know, I, I it wasn't it wasn't like the type of deal where you're waking up every morning and sweating and looking at it. You know, we we had an idea of kind of the the long term gas price that they kind of used in underwriting, and you know there was noise definitely going on, but I, it, I I wouldn't say that that it was you know something where hey they they felt like they they had to deal with us and had to stick with it. I mean it, you know, they they had they had, had a gas price that they had underwritten, and then with the White Hawk guys, you know those sales were really more in 2023 after the the larger drop with gas, and so there wasn't as much volatility you know, at, at the time we did both of those transactions. I think the second one we just closed last month. So, you know, not not a ton of volatility on that one.
0: Okay. Yeah. Can you speak briefly? Just, uh, I'm going to have Daniel back on the podcast here shortly because, you know, he had this deal with you guys and he just announced a new, uh, he's got a couple of things to talk about, but can you just speak to a little bit what it's like working with him you know the the model is you know he he funds the deals over a longer period of time like you said cadence on looking at a deal is a bit different than others but you know he's done it now multiple times he did it with the san Jacinto guys up in appalachia can you just for any of those for any folks out there listening who are considering doing deals with them can you just share the experience on you know has he delivered on his word and how's it worked have there been delays
2: all, all that I'd say Dan- Daniel and and team have been absolutely great to work with and one thing about him and he says he's going to do something he does it and I really appreciate that about him. His team is what I'd say experienced on the mineral side so as far as you know truing up getting into pay those guys are absolute you know experts and and great. They they've been absolutely great to deal with. Would we will we do more deals with them possibly? Yeah, I mean we we've had a great relationship with him. He owes me a dinner, by the way. So when you talk to him, uh, <laughs> um, he owes me dinner. But they, they've been great. They've been great to work with. The Saxon guys were great to work with as well. But you know, Dan, Daniel's retail channel that he uses is, is definitely an interesting model. If you've got the time to, you know, give them the time to work to work that, the valuation's great, and it was really a win-win on both sides on both transactions we did
0: listen it's it's economics 101 but cost averaging in and cost averaging out of the market is is a way to align yourself with with the counterparty right and so I think that what he's doing is a is a, an example of that for sure but no I appreciate you sharing your comments. this is gonna be familiar to a lot of folks out there in the mineral space who have started to play the non-op game who have completely transitioned to the non-op game you know a little bit of everything Mesa's looking at doing that later this year, early next year um, in the Haynesville. So why don't you lift the hood a little bit
2: and tell us what you guys have planned on the non-op side? Sure. We, yeah, we, we are looking at launching a, call it Mesa non-op vehicle. Uh, probably initial focus would be, call it a ground game in the Haynesville, but more broadly, I think, open to, to looking in, in multiple other basins as well. You know, I, I think, you know, where, where we kind of came up with the ideas. you know, because of the mineral ground game machine that we built in the Haynesville, We're constantly, you know, buying, identifying unleased acreage where, you know, we'll buy it and then literally jumping on the phone with Southwestern or Athon and and leasing the acreage. And it's kind of like, look, why don't we just create a vehicle where we lease it to Mason Nonop? We get the AFE that comes in when the AFE comes out. We'll take a look at it, run the economics on it. If we don't like it, we'll sell it down the river to multiple guys who buy AFEs that are out there. Right. So it's kind of a it, it was kind of a no brainer from that standpoint with the amount of deal flow. We know the basin very well. We know every operator. We know tight curves across everywhere, spacing. I mean, we, we know everything about the basin. So it just made makes a lot of sense. NGP has actually really been pushing us, wanting us to start that business. And we've been hesitant recently because i really wanted to stand up our Permian business and, and give that six months to get that up and running and not have the team distracted on a new business like I, I never think you want to stand up to new businesses at once and so that was kind of the mindset and why it's kind of taken us a bit but I could see q4 q1 of next year where we do launch that business separate pool capital from ngP out of, out of their fund 12 likely where we go do that and really take advantage of I'd say the synergies and the knowledge we have in the basin is the way I
0: look yeah at. I mean it, it's an interesting approach you know coming from the leasehold side which is a little further out than some of the AFE funds out there but what you're doing is you're creating additional optionality. You're already getting the leasehold bonuses as a revenue stream, right? What's interesting about blending non-op with minerals is the the biggest risk outside of commodities with minerals is development timing. And when you're uh, a non-op work interest owner and you get an AFE, it is in the operator's best interest to make sure you pay. Right. And so development timing risks goes way down. And having that kind of visibility is tremendously synergistic. And there is a liquid market to sell the fee and carve out an override if you want. You can participate if the economics work. There's a lot of really interesting ways to play it. And I think it makes tons of sense uh, for you guys to get into that space. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. Darren, thanks for thanks again for coming back on. We've covered a lot. You guys have been busy. New units, new units, you're going to be launching in the future. Let's bring it all back home. What are some of the takeaways you want those listening to come away with? What are the best ways to work with Mesa? Whether it's guys on the deal front that are looking to bring you deals, whether it's larger end buyers that might be interested in watching your portfolio evolve. Over to you. Just some, some uh, final messages and then we'll wrap up the episode.
2: Yeah, perfect. So, look, we're we are open for business in in the Haynesville and Permian. You know, whether it's one acre, whether it's two or three hundred million dollar acquisitions, keep us in mind from that standpoint. In buyers, keep us in mind if if you are looking for large gas portfolio uh, in the Haynesville. And then, really, I'd say, you know, if you are uh, an aggregator who's aggregated a royalty portfolio in really any basin in the country that's probably twelve or fifteen million a year of cash flow or more and looking to divest. Keep us in mind for that as well. We're at other basins. We looked at a, a Midcon deal, an Appalachia deal, an Eagleford deal that come to my mind recently in the last year. You know, so we're we're not afraid to jump into another basin. Darren, where
0: where are haymakers' assets? Just to go down memory lane and tell everyone, you know, the experience you have in different basins. There's a large Appalachia position. I mean, for those who are saying, oh, you know, you guys are permian haynesville or majority haynesville i mean you have an extensive experience in your career in these other basins so just go around the horn really quickly as a follow-on to the comment of if you have 12 to 15 plus million a year in ntm uh, we'd love to talk to you so just you know to highlight the basins you
2: you yeah yeah sure i mean whether it was you know josh and i's experience with haymaker where we literally owned in every basin in the country we did 35 different operator partnerships in pretty much every basin you can think of, from the Bakken to the Midcon to the Permian to the Eagleford. So, you know, in, 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 as a team, we have a tremendous amount of experience. I mean, Greg Balashar, our, our COO and our, my partner, has is, is got tremendous amount of experience in Midcon. He was CEO of a denim backed uh, non op company in, in Midcon. Uh, Travis Peak, uh, who did a lot in, in the Midcon as well. So, we have, we have uh, you know, experience across pretty much every basin and, you know, not afraid to look at any basin. I think our preference would be, you know, something where we could buy into a large aggregated position where we could then put our ground game on top of it. You're somewhat limited in some basins when you think about kind of core Eagleford and some others. But, you know, I think it, we would prefer to buy something in a basin where we could, act, you know, put our ground game on top of all.
0: All righty. Well, Darren, great having you on as always and looking forward to catch up in person soon. Great, Tim. Good to see you.
1: Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. The Minerals and Royalties podcast is meant for informational purposes only. Tim Powell and the Minerals and Royalties Authority are not promoting any specific securities or investments nor are they providing any type of investment advice. If you enjoyed the episode, then I encourage you to tune in more and also check out the Minerals and Royalties Authority YouTube channel. Thanks, and see you next time.